Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. Here we are with episode 91 in the new year, 2023. Happy New Year to you all. Um, I know I'm already in the middle of the month, so it's kind of late for Happy New Year's, but um, it's the first one of ours for the new year. And tonight's very special guest is Bobby Matador. Uh, Bobby Matador is the uh, singer, songwriter, uh, pianist, bassist for the band Oneida. Uh, Oneida's latest record, simply entitled Success, is a wonderful album uh, released on Joyful Noise. I don't remember the exact release date. I believe it was around June or July of 2022. So it's been out for a little while now. But it's a wonderful record. It really, really is. I mean, I I listened to it immediately, and uh, it immediately grabbed me, and I knew that this was an amazing record. So... um, I went to see Oneida play in Cambridge recently in December, and uh, it was wonderful. It was a great show. Uh, I was very lucky to get in, actually. Uh, it was actually a miracle that I got in, to uh, tell you the truth. I can tell you that story, story at another date, but um, yeah, they were an amazing band. They are an amazing band, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do in the not-too-distant future. Uh, I talked with Bobby about that briefly near the end of the show as far as like what they have planned uh, coming up for this year. Uh, there is a some European tour dates in March, uh, a couple one-offs in April, and uh, you know, possibly recording another album uh, very soon. Also, topic of discussion is uh, the album that Bobby chose for tonight, The Falls um, Domesday Payoff Triad Plus, uh, which was difficult and confusing. Um, so, am I covering that record? I guess not. Um, because I didn't know what, I couldn't find it. So there, you know, if anyone is familiar with the Falls discography, um, I think this happens on a number of occasions with their records where they get reissued or, you know, they get released in different countries and they change the record for the most part. And so that's kind of what happened here. The Domesday Payoff Triad Plus is um, the American version of what would have been Ben Sinister. My mistake, I mean, I, I... knew there was different listings, but I just didn't know which one is the one Bobby has, which one is the one he's referencing to. So I was thinking, well, if Ben Sinister is close enough to what the Domesday payoff was in the American release, then maybe I'll just focus on this and they're going to sync up somehow. It kind of did, kind of didn't. It fell off a little bit, but uh, it was a great conversation nonetheless. Um... Bobby is a is a wonderfully profound, like thoughtful uh, person. Uh, it, it's no surprise that he is a an educator, because uh, I could get I got that from him. I knew it beforehand, prior you know going into the conversation. But um, very eloquent, very well spoken, very uh, methodical in his thought, 
and um, and his his uh, perception, his takes on this record, the songs and you know in the record itself, uh, and his personal experience with it, I find to be profound. Um, it, it's just a it was just a great conversation. Some of the insights for some of these songs I really really do like. <clears throat> you know, kind of having him provide his own perspective on what these songs mean to him because a lot of these songs have so much interpretation uh, based on the fans people that love this music and there's a there's a lot of information out there as far as like fans uh, participation in, in uh, experiencing and exploring the possibilities of these songs so um, Bobby's are his own um, and I think that he cherishes them in his own way uh, you know in, in a personal way but it's just nice to have him share those here I think so thank you for joining me uh, in this conversation we here at Vinyl Vision simply ask that you guys do all the things you do with the internet. Please like, share, comment, subscribe, rate, review uh, the show if you if you like it. And um, if you care to uh, support us in a financial way, you can always visit our website, psychicstatic.net. And uh, any purchase you make there helps go towards funding the show. So, um, yeah, without further ado, folks, um, enjoy. <laughs> Isn't that a little... Consent oh, wow. granted. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but uh, it's great to have you have you joining me this morning. Um, uh, thank you for carving out some time for me. My pleasure. Um, so I guess uh, you know, the place to start is uh, is kind of like at the very beginning, like uh, you know, your your history in in music, like uh, as a kid, like what was uh, what was music like in the house? Oh man, um, yeah, uh, well, interestingly. Um, my family's not like extremely musical, but my parents, uh, had records, my mom's big classical music listener and lover. And then my dad had like his, you know, collections of things from the mid and late sixties and early seventies. And, and so I like did my homework, you know, as an elementary school student, putting on my dad's records or listening to, listening to the radio or whatever, but there wasn't like a specific hook, neither of my parents are musicians or anything. Um, mm. And uh, I don't know how it got started when I was a kid. It was like taking childhood piano lessons for a few years. And it, interestingly, they didn't really take, like I never really enjoyed the process of formal piano lessons. I understood the notation system, but it didn't really um, speak to me or land really hard. But the... Um, I guess the formative uh, motivator is the act of sitting at a piano. And this is still absolutely true to me. The act of sitting at a piano and playing has a really, um, a really strong pull for me. And there's something about the way that the sound kind of envelops you and comes out of both sides into both ears. And, you know, you got both your hands on either side of you sort of involved and your body involved. I think it's probably pretty similar for people whose introduction has been playing the drums, right? It's like a sure. holistic and sort of enveloping sound environment. And that like totally stuck with me. So, you know, a few years of piano lessons. And then as soon as I was like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore in whatever fifth grade or sixth grade, I, you know, I don't remember. Um, I think the sensation of being like wrapped up and enveloped in that sound that I was controlling, <laughs> mm. um, I think that probably uh, lasted. I can still, I can still sense that and still feel that. So 
that'd be like the genesis of it. I, 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 and then I kind of came back, right. It was like, um, I started in eighth grade playing in a band with a couple friends and it gave us something to do before school. And it gave us a way to be sure of ourselves that like we had, you know, middle school dances and that was like, not really my social milieu of preference but then it was like hey but if we're playing at the dance like that's pretty sweet yeah way better <laughs> um yeah so so you know playing cover songs and things and um you know a kind of lifelong uh commitment to to uh, diy processes was born at that point we um myself and my middle school band friends made a we made a tape we had a very supportive um teacher who was my seventh grade history teacher who was also a drummer and a musician and a guitarist and had a studio in his home and he was like hey man if you guys want to record you know come to my house i've got a tape machine and mm. mics wow. and he helped us record and it was like oh yeah you're just you could just do this yeah um and so that that sort of piled on and at that point you know so i guess whatever that is eighth grade i was 13 in eighth grade um you know from that point on it was like okay who am i playing with and what are we playing so then it you know in high school it was like i guess i should try writing songs and yeah right. you know that's when that started but then yeah then it's just like then it's just a matter of a, of a following a course of evolution and exploration and and you know all yeah. of the, all the random factors that drop into your life Right. And, and with that being said, I mean, one of the big things and what I kind of like to discuss is is the idea of, of influence or or inspiration. I don't know, like I feel like the two words could kind of be uh, kind of uh, considered differently. Sure. But like, yeah, I think so. Like, where where do you find that? Like when like when you're developing from from eighth grade on, let's say, like, what are you what are you taking in and how is that kind of like uh, coming out of you? I, I think for me and I think this is probably like very very translatable to a lot of people i don't think this is like some dynamite insight but um mm -hmm. but i i think it's really up to just the confluence of factors of for me at least like what i was exposed to um yeah. and and especially things that made me think and hear differently like anything that kind of knocked my perceptions or preconceptions a little bit askew so for instance i mentioned my dad's records right my dad's record collection yeah. that was pretty sort of standard normal you know middle-aged man of american stuff yeah right and so so to place you in time here i'm like adolescent pre-adolescent and adolescent in the 80s and my dad you know born in the you know early baby boom so he's like coming of age late 60s so it's like he's got santana records he's got the guys and dolls soundtrack he's got a chicago album you know it's like um yeah it's just sort of it's sort of the the norm um sure. but like i can say like <laughs> i can remember one of the records that kind of threw me for a loop was um he had Bob Dylan, the times they are a changing, not a, mm. not a record that's like widely celebrated as important Dylan. Right. Um, but that record just didn't sound good to me in a way that, you know, good in quotes. Right. It's like, yeah. here's this guy. I knew I was like, oh, I was culturally aware. Bob Dylan, important 60s guy. That was kind of it. Right. Yeah. So then it's like, put this record on and it's, um, 
you know, it's just gruff and rough and whiny and droney. And, uh, and I was like, it was not easy for me to take that in whenever, you know, I don't know what this is again, like sixth grade or something, but I kept coming back to it. It was like, really? Like this is allowed. You know, it was sort of yeah. it was sort of those moments. And I remember all of not all, but I remember so many of those moments have been like, wait, stuff sounds like this. You know, it was like I bought at that time with my my money. I bought, you know, whatever, like. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, Duran Duran. I'm thinking these are literal purchases of mine. I can think. Sure. Back to them. Yeah. Paul Simon, the big um, um, Graceland, right? Like, okay. like, these are all things that. To me, like sounded normal and good and then i would get yeah. exposed to things that i was like what like <laughs> that that's but that's not good and then it would be like but i keep listening to it and i think that process of like being slightly dislocated like bumped off of my you know uh, of my wherever i was standing or sitting a little bit and having to readjust that those those things just kind of built and combined into and and pushed me into where i am so yeah influence inspiration i think of it probably just all as sort of history because it's like how much of it was intentional how much of it was purely lucky right you know but then there, there's a factor in there that where like kind of you expose yourself to a certain amount of stuff like like when does it change for you where like you know a bunch of the things that you mentioned now like going through your your father's collection and then even the things that you were purchasing yourself at that time you know bruce springsteen duran duran where does it <laughs> where does it start getting weird yeah um yeah so the first place it started getting weird i have an older brother he's a couple of years older than me and his friend ben gave him a copy of the trio album trio and error trio is like a german kind of new wave poppy yeah uh minimalist group they had this you know you might you might know the song da 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 <laughs> um, yeah that sounds vaguely familiar you know yeah it's like early 80s so this is uh, what i'm this is probably 82 83 and yeah you know so my brother has this record that's genuinely like odd but also catchy some of it's in english some of it's in german um i can remember that record as as being a like oh yeah like things things are just different like i said the dylan record like uh, you know this can this is gonna push you to hear things differently um right. you know but uh, like weird weird i think it was i've just well like when did you develop your taste yeah i think i think like starting super super early being made to play like bartok pieces on the piano right like those are yeah. in those yeah. are like in whatever fourth or fifth grade right rather than for elise or something i had a cool piano teacher um you know it's just these little like accretions of stuff and then um you know when you invited me you were like okay let's pick a, a record right an album that had sure. a specific impact and i i hemmed and hawed as I, i'm sure anyone would when presented with that idea and i ended up picking this this fall record the domesday payoff and i'm a huge fan of the fall okay. um, and this is not like um you know this is not a, a hyper canonical record if anything it's it's you know, it's a little bit odd because it's a it's like an American version of a quote unquote real album. You know, it's like, hey, let's take the take the singles and pile them into this record and push out some of the 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 weirder, murkier stuff. And then we'll release it in the U.S. And um, but, you know, like I 
<laughs> I, I bought that record for specific reasons that I remember. And I remember the process of buying it. And I remember really well the process being like that. It fit into an experience, like a transformational process that was already familiar to me. Like, this doesn't sound good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't sound right. But it's like, I don't want to stop listening to it. Yeah. And then the more I listened and the more I learned and the more I followed threads and branches, you know, spinning out from that, um, you know, that becomes like a very, very, very important hub of connections for me in the music that I that I like like the all the paths yeah. that record had a ton of paths yeah I bet it did I mean like the fall is one of those bands that as soon as you find them and as soon as you start digging into it um and like it because if you don't like it then you're not gonna you're, you know you're not gonna obviously go down that path but um there's so much there there's so much to mine and um I have to ask you about this album first so yeah, yeah. first of all you asked uh, you said that you want to choose the album the doomsday payoff which uh when I looked it up I, I couldn't find it specifically. Like it's connected to Ben Sinister. Yeah, it's the American version of Ben Sinister. Okay, but so, so is it the same track listing? Because some track listings vary depending on what. Yeah, it's different. What it is is it's like, um, and this is funny because this is like such a such a classic. This is like a the Beatles in the '60s thing, right? It's like the yeah. fall is a big deal in England, not at all a big deal in the U.S. at this time, the '80s, the mid '80s, right? And. Uh, and it's um Ben Sinister as such was not released in the States, right? It's like here's the new fall album, and I don't know what label they were on and in, in, in the banquet, UK. I think. Yeah. So um so this record is on big time records. Um okay. and it's uh it's like they took a couple of the 12 inches because this is at a period when the fall's releasing a bunch of singles and the way they were releasing singles was in these 12 inches with like here's your a side here's a little something extra on the a side and here's a couple songs on the b side um Mm -hmm. and they just took a few of these singles and were like well these need to be on the u.s version of this record and so then what are we going to bump off because this is not cd era so they bumped a few of the ben sinister songs off and they put on like um you know, there's a ghost in my house and Hey Luciani, uh, which are these singles. So the way the record is presented, the subtitle, it's the Domesday Payoff Triad Plus exclamation right. point. Right. And okay. it has these three single covers on the front. So you can look at it as like, oh, it's kind of a compilation. It's like most of Ben Sinister plus the singles from that year. Oh, okay. And it's, the release date is 87. Okay. Um, and I know exactly when I bought it because it was the the start of my sophomore year in high school. So it was actually the fall of 1988 that I bought it. I was I had just turned 15 and it was in the cutout bin of this uh, record store, Pitchfork Records in Concord, New Hampshire. Right. See, I told you I remember this. This is why I was like, I'm doing this record. <laughs> OK, um, cool. And I had gone off to high school um with some music from my older brother um, who was at that time in a long-term hospitalization and he had recorded some of his records onto tape for me right he taped some stuff for me uh between freshman and sophomore year of high school for me and that was like um sonic youth evol and sister both of whom sister had was the record that had like just recently come out um and uh the bevis frond 
and dinosaur uh you're living all over me uh no no bug the dinosaur album bug just come out so he was kind of like exposing me to this world of you know what we now look back at as a a pretty like well codified indie rock canon you know yeah the Um, the beginnings of it really yeah um yeah and so I and I was like just the particular age where like I knew about hardcore and I had friends who were into hardcore, but it didn't really speak to me because by the time I got around listening to that stuff, whatever, it just wasn't like resonating with me. So this would be that kind of post hardcore and sort of psychedelia stuff all mm-hmm. matched in. Um, and so I kind of knew about the fall, but I never heard them. It was like, you know, I'm sure I'd read some stuff. I was not an avid consumer of like super hip underground zines but i don't know maybe spin magazine mentioned the fall or something like that yeah so i'm in this record store and i see this record and it's you know it's four bucks or whatever you know whatever it was in the cutout been 479 um and uh and i was like oh cool i'll buy this right i had a little money i knew about this band and i was in this mindset of like oh yeah there's like all this new music and this band is one of those bands right that's as deep as my thinking was yeah. at that time and then you know i i listened to it and I, I just had that i had what by then i guess was becoming a familiar reaction which was like this is not immediately palatable <laughs> um right but okay right mm-hmm. i'll i'll see what it has to offer me and how it opens up for me because i was finding a lot of comfort in that process like sort of a time in my life when I was like I don't necessarily think in all the same ways as everybody and I had um I was kind of figuring out um I was figuring out that I was probably done playing football which is a big part of my life and my identity and like junior high and and like but basically from fifth grade through 10th grade like the two things that were most important to me in life were music and football Mm. Uh, and this was a point at which I was like, my music friends are generally cooler than my football friends and <laughs> seem a little more accepting of some quirks. And that is not a like that is not fair as a blanket statement, to be clear. <laughs> That's I'm overgeneralizing. But I, I think mean, I was kind of finding myself pulled in that direction. So it was yeah. like, all right, so what is this? And it's, you know, as with so much fall stuff, there's so much that's inscrutable. Um, and because this was like a U.S. cheapy issue, there's like no useful liner notes. There's uh, no, there's nothing to give you any info. Right. Uh, and you have your copy. Record, what's that? You have your copy, your original copy that you bought. Yes, wow. I do. Oh, well, you can carry your stuff too. It looks like. like. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, and and so I'm 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 holding it up to the camera here. I know you're recording this in audio, but I'm holding it up to the yeah. camera, and you at least can see James that the the back of the record there's no there's no inner sleeve or anything the back of the record has the song titles it has pictures of four of the band members not marky smith right right and the the front cover is this like deliberately dislocated collaged version of three singles that are compiled in the record um like right and that's the package and that's the info and it's like okay here's what you have so like there's nothing on here that's like that's like Mr. Pharmacist, classic 60s garage nugget, you know? <laughs> There's a ghost in my house. Like, I didn't know R. Dean Taylor. Like, I didn't know, like, oh, like white Canadian Motown guy making like 
strange garage music like yeah, none yeah. of that was a, a, a was available to me as information at this time it was more just like here's this music what do you think and i'm like this is mysterious and weird and totally inscrutable and this dude is babbling but i kind of want to keep hearing what he's saying and i think i can figure out you know who he is and then one thing and i, I literally i had to go look this up to see if my memory was correct and it is correct um the song Terry Waite says on here, which is a total like Bricks Smith, like catchy, mm -hmm. you know, like like neo mod moment. Um, I was like, this record was released before Terry Waite was kidnapped and imprisoned. But by the time I bought this record, he was he like, a, yeah, he was like known. It was like, oh, this dude who's being held hostage in the Middle East. And I was like somewhat aware of that. I was interested in politics yeah. in the world. And, you know, it was like, so what is this song about? And it's like funny. It's funny. You go back and it's like classically like Mark E. Smith, completely personalized, inscrutable, like collaged lyrics. It's like so personal. Right. And this, this, this the weird, like uh, pro prolific, uh, prophetic, almost the stance that he has like oddly enough yeah like it's so it's so interesting that he's and then of course he like as i began to learn more about the fall and about him through the next couple of years it was like oh he's deliberately also he's like also a deliberate misleader mm -hmm. you know he'd say things about sure. his music that were like demonstrably not true like on purpose and that I, I found once I started figuring this out, I was like, oh, right, this guy makes this music and he creates this universe. And like, it's available to anyone, but it, yeah. for a lot of people, it's not comfortable. <laughs> and yeah. I've found myself being really comfortable in that world. Right. And then it's as I learned more about the music, I think this record was my exposure to like, you know, quote unquote, 60s garage. I think the song, the song, Mr. Pharmacist, I was like, this song is fucking amazing mm. like makes me feel rock and roll you know <laughs> right and then it was like you know probably in the next year or two it was like oh yeah that's not really the fall right that's someone else's song and i'm like what i have to reckon with this and then it was like <laughs> takes me down that path you know and i'm like oh right. my god this whole world of music that this record sent me down you know it was yeah like, it opened you up to yeah right. it was like i have to get i have to learn about this i have to what is this nuggets thing that people talk about? Right. And so given my age, yeah. that record is like a big touchstone. Cause like, how are you going to find this music? Well, somebody awesome had to compile it <laughs> yeah. and make it available. You know, I wasn't like a record collector. I was buying records as fast as I could, but yeah, sure. As a kid, teenager, what, yeah. what, how much are you going to really get? Especially see for me as a teen, I didn't, I didn't really have a very good uh, musical like uh, education. You know I mean? Like I was starting to get into things, but, didn't really have anyone to guide me too well into the indie scene or punk scene or, you know, any of the underground stuff. So you kind of have a little leg up on me in, in that sense. Um, I didn't get into yeah. the fall until I was 24, maybe. But there must have been things that you did get into, right, that just happened to you that, like, guided yeah. you in your particular... I, f I feel the same way. I feel like, okay, I had my older brother was a little bit of a, a curator for me, mm -hmm. right? Um but then there were all these other things that just like fell into my lap and it, it was basically like creating an exploratory mindset. So yeah. and it was actually in high school that um, 
I became friends and bandmates with with Kid, with John from Oneida. Right. And we started playing together in, in, in high school. And he has the exact same mindset. We don't have the, you know, we didn't have the exact same tastes in school. Like I was coming more from, a, and for me, it wasn't like, this is indie rock. Like I was also like, oh, there's also like alternative music. Oh my God, the Smiths and New Order and The Cure landed like just right for me in ninth and 10th grade too, right? Much more sort right. of mainstream accessible versions of, of maybe a similar approach. Um, right. And then it was like learning that you could look back. I remember us talking about this kid and me talking about um, Can we were both exposed to for the first time in high school. Okay. And we're like, this isn't, how could this be? How could there be this band that like not everybody knows about? Like, but it sounds like this. It was like, of course, like it, it seemed almost implausible because we didn't really have a sense of the scope of how much music was out there mm. and also how like the canonization process is so fraught and artificial and you know fucks up people's understanding of things right and i i yeah. feel this now like i'm a history teacher as well as an english teacher and like the the desire of people to impose narrative is understandable Mm -hmm. but also so unbelievably misleading. Yeah, well, for the music biz too, so specifically, like I've been kind of like grappling that with my with, with that myself cuz I'm like like why do, do some bands end up being able to succeed and like kind of get all this press and 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 you know uh and and notoriety when when others just completely go under the radar for their entire lives, their entire careers. Right. And it's, it's interesting because we've been in a we've been in an era recently for better and for worse combined of, you know, going back and digging stiff stuff up and 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 recanonizing or reordering the canon, which I think is a good process. Right. I think the investigatory mm. process sure. is amazing. Right. The right. like uncovering things, reissuing things. But like because I guess because we're human. There's still instead of a just like, oh, my God, there's a terrifying multiplicity that we have to grapple with in our own personal ways. It's like, no, the actual story is now this. Mm. Right. Or like, actually, this is better and this influenced this. And, and you know, it's good to, to get the alternate stories out there. But it's also um, it's ultimately liberating to be like, oh, there isn't a story. <laughs> there's like yeah. an ocean and you're floating in it and and what you see and where you go defines who you are. And it's like amazing to make connections mm. with people. Um, but I, I'm, you know, like I'm, uh, I agree with you. It's, it's odd and occasionally frustrating to be like, wait, what's the, what's the, what's the narrative and why am I not in it in a different place? Or the, you know, why is this band not more popular? Like, why do people like this? You know, is, is, mm frustrating but it's kind of dead endy <laughs> yeah yeah now no i think that this album that you chose today is a kind of a good example of that uh first of all they're i, I think that it's fair to say that they were fairly underrated uh throughout their entire career i mean obviously there are there are the people that admire them and and love them to no end uh almost to a fault and then there are some who just can't get it and they they don't they don't bother with it um i found this album particularly difficult uh, there is a lot of information about it. Like I actually found this website, which is amazing. It's obviously some fan generated thing, but it's just like they break down every song, like again, to a fault because it's just like too much information. It's like, okay, is you this, guys, is this the annotated fall website? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's worth putting a shout out out there for people because <laughs> if you if you get into the music that is a fun place to go but right so like as a a person who has loved this band for decades i almost never sure go, go look at that because i've found that like i need my own personal i never want to read like what other people think about for instance the the narrative voice of like um hip priest mm -hmm. for instance like you know big big fall song from hex induction hour that everybody like or whatever that is is much better known than most of the stuff on the record we're talking about like yeah i don't ever want to know like where those images and languages supposedly came from or how others connect them i want i want that song like your I personal want, yeah. yeah, and I want I want the Marky e. Smith that like I want, <laughs> which I don't think it's far off from like you know probably his own conception of himself. But like I don't mm. I don't um, need things fully explained. Uh, but on the other hand, I love the passion and the and the energy and commitment that goes into that. Right, right? I'm not like talking down. I think that site is amazing. And I yeah. think that people are like, I'm kind of curious about the fall, like totally go like check out the annotated fall site. It's incredible. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, fans are great. It's it's great to have yeah. fans. It's it's great that people love them so much that they that they want to spend time in 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 researching and, and doing this stuff. Um, so yeah, no, no discredit to them at all. But um, but I understand you're you're wanting to kind of hold on to this own your own personal kind of understanding of what this music is like. Cause that's I think that's kind of what uh, our relationship with music is typically like, uh, you know, uh, before the internet, I mean, that's all we had. So uh, you as a young fan of the fall, uh, growing up kind of pre-internet, essentially, oh, yeah. <laughs> you didn't have that ability to, to get any research on them. I mean, like I could barely find anything about them now and I do have the internet. So <laughs> back in the eighties, I can only imagine that there was nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, I, or there were, what there was, was, you know, there was, um, Fans it was like okay, stuff. I need to learn more about this record so and, and this band. So I went back and bought um this nation's saving grace, which had just oh. come out a couple of years before. And right. like if you were, you know, realistically, if you're looking for favorite fall records for me, as opposed to like the 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 what is the the kind of the hub and connector, that one's probably there. That one and Hex Induction Hour and that some of the my favorite singles, and then the later stuff the unutterable is like to me just a, a an impossibly amazing record from a band that had been around 25 years you know or whatever mm -hmm. um but yeah like you had to go you had to kind of move backwards and forwards simultaneously at a pace that you couldn't dictate in terms of learning about stuff you had to find people who knew this and the 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 you know record stores man like i still believe that the cultural value of record stores and um like I will, i'll say college radio although whatever you want to call it community radio left of the dial radio like mm -hmm. those um worlds were it was like it was like okay this is a thing there are connections there are people you can go talk about this and you can go learn about this with you mm -hmm. as opposed to like looking in magazines or whatever and like i said i was never i i didn't even really know about the world of like zines and little diy publications like i just was not exposed to it like i was a suburban kid right um 
in New Hampshire. Right. And had I known that, that would have been another like pillar of like, how do you find out about this stuff? <laughs> Is that the record stores? Yeah. Yeah. Go to the it's record stores and talk to the people there. And yeah, like sometimes they're like weird old dudes who just want to sell you Zappa records. That's fine too. They like, seem a little gruff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this eventually you open up because then you, you, you mentioned that one thing that they're like, oh, Oh, you heard them? Okay, you're cool. You're a cool person. All right, I will help you. <laughs> yeah, well, and just, yeah, like that's who knows that, who knew that stuff, right? And then it was right. like going, it was much easier than I, I went off to college and it was like, okay, there's college radio station here and there are lots of people in bands who are playing at house parties every single weekend and you're like, it was, that was a quick, quick, quick accumulation of connections. And then everybody's sharing stuff. And that was the big explosion, right? Mm. High school was more hold on to the people that you like realize are like you and like struggle your way to learn stuff. <laughs> right, right. Grab onto whatever you can. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, like, again, about this album, um, I didn't know what copy you had. So based on the research that I that I had and like well, the information that I had, I, I kind of just essentially did the rundown of uh, Ben Sinister because like all the new, uh, you know, uh, uh, repressings and, and, and reinterpretations of it have different track listings. Yeah. So I'm, a, I'm assuming I, I must I may have hit on some of the tracks that you are obviously familiar with and maybe on your copy, but I might have some that are not there or I'm missing some that you you have been that you yeah have yeah on your probably copy. probably it's it's different and varied although I would bet like newer if there are like reissues but who would reissue this record right it would be like I'm sure it's like the complete Ben Sinister or something basically like. yeah. yeah yeah there's like the the Ben Sinister Doomsday Payoff Triad Plus yeah. you know deluxe plus, edition plus. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's like two disc versions like CD versions and they have like basically everything from this era so. Um, but so basically I'm doing, I was going down the Ben Sinister, uh, uh, track listing. All right. So does that have, um, both versions of shoulder pads? It has one and two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also heard the one B version. Oh, so yeah. So that beats me. Yeah, Didn't even that know was there was an extra. One. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just the, I, so, so the fact that like, so on, on the Domesday triad record, like, there's the A side, and right in the middle of it is Shoulder Pads version one. This bizarre, catchy, like, but also like, I mean, I I, I knew nothing about like Krautrock and Noi and stuff, so like, there's no way for me to put together like, oh, this is this odd, catchy little melody on top of this. Mm. You know, there's nothing connected for me to that like droney, like chugging sound. It was just like, this is so cool. And then to do it again, on the on the second side of the record to be like and here we are again it's like really okay cool you could do that yeah well there's something weird about the fall right because like so i so i'm an i'm a nominal fan i like i basically was introduced to um this nation saving grace around 24 and that's pretty much where i stayed i was just like i, yeah. I tried listening to some of the other records at, at some other points and it was just like it's not it's not this nation's saving grace it's it's so it's so catchy and like kind of like hooky uh has yeah. such so much like kind of upbeat rhythms that it's like it's just a fun record and um but what i'm realizing is that a lot of their records almost all of their records are like that almost where it's like there's this uncanny thing where 
the 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 band lineup the group lineup has changed so often and so many times and there's been so many different people in the band at different times uh in their career but they still manage to kind of hold on to this uh this similar similarity and even in sound even like the instrumentation the tones are similar to each other so much so that it's just like if I didn't know, and I didn't know up until just this past week that the band had changed so often yeah, <laughs> that it's just like, I would have never known that it changed at all. You know, that's interesting. Cause I, he- I hear them in such, um, chunks and I don't know that my, like my chunks necessarily line up with exactly sort of a, again, a canonical like understanding of how things are changing big time. But I mm. do think that like this nation's saving grace and this record are at this sort of peak of catchiness. I think a lot of the times that's that's um, in part, at least attributed to the the Brick Smith influence, right? That he, mm-hmm. he this this new band member comes on, they get married. She has a strong influence on him. Some people I I have become aware of, although I don't know how exaggerated this is. You know, some people felt like she was a terrible influence on their music and ruined the band. Um, sure. the I do not feel that way. <laughs> I think that, but I do hear like kind of bubblegummy, catchy, poppy things coming into the band at that point that I love. Yeah, that I think are great, and and they're in there with with like a kind of swagger that also is like I think grow grows in power from the. The kind of relentless, like weird, shambly, droney chug from early records. I could tell. I I feel like I'm like, I know when it's the mid '80s. Even if you found like some outtake I didn't know, I'd be like, I know when this is from. <laughs> yeah, weird. But yeah, I just thought that was so so strange. Um, and then also like the well, first of all, I was going to ask you a little earlier when when you were mentioning it. Uh, have you ever had the opportunity to meet Mark Smith? Um. I not to have a conversation with I did uh, I, I I got to I ate a, <laughs> ate, ate a meal at the table next to him and nodded oh. at him once <laughs> oh yeah Croatia. yeah <laughs> wow in Croatia weird uh, did it just you didn't have the courage to kind of like bother him at his meal didn't feel like the right opportunity it was at a, right. a festival that both our bands were playing at and he was um you know rumored to not be in great shape at that time uh what, what year was this not that long ago oh, uh, okay uh, maybe seven or eight years ago okay. um eight to ten years ago that within the last decade um and he was eating at a table with this you know with this woman and it was just the two of them and i was like not I would time. love to meet this guy, and, <laughs> but I, you know, like, yeah, I'm not sure what I would have gotten out of it anyway, other than a like, I met Marky Smith, you right. know, like, I, I don't think he, I, he never struck me as the kind of guy who wanted to hear my story about him, you know, <laughs> certainly not over dinner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, not a great time to approach him. I had a similar thing actually. I, I kind of had a, a similar distance to uh, Jonathan Richmond. And I was like just sitting next to him eating. I was just like, I would love to say something to this guy, but I just know it's not going to go over well. (laughs) I have a really good job. I have had an in-depth conversation with Jonathan Richmond that I could share with you at some point. Yeah, there's a a real story about Jonathan, a big, big argument backstage between Jonathan and me. 
Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, I guess we'll have to talk about that later. <laughs> Part two. Unfortunately, you two. didn't choose. He didn't choose who, a modern who, lovers. By the way, uh... It absolutely occurred to me to select the first modern lovers record as my choice for this interview because and... that record is deeply, profoundly important to me. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh, to the point and then where you could have shared that story. <laughs> I know. I know. Two summers ago, my wife and I and a couple friends learned the whole record note for note and played it on our back porch here in the city of Boston, just played the whole record, got some friends to come in and sing yeah. each part and just like gave it to the neighborhood. Nobody was mad. Nice. <laughs> That's great. Wow. Well, maybe next time. Maybe we'll yeah, do it. We'll revisit time, this. Time. Yeah. Me and Jonathan. Molly <laughs> Ringwald looking on aghast. Really? This is yeah, a, this, this is, this is, is an my, intriguing this is story. My, <laughs> my funny, funny celeb story that you don't get on this podcast. Anyway, back to the brooding, yeah. shadowy world of Marky e. Smith and the yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So, so now back to Marky e. Smith. I was wondering because, like, I'm curious. Like, I mean, you probably don't have any insight in this, but it's just like, um, you know, he, his name is all over everything. He's he's you know considered the the songwriter for the fall, but at the same time, I never see him play an instrument. I think I've seen one video clip of him live somewhere with a guitar on once and I didn't even yeah. see him playing it. And then it's just like so and then you 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 know hear these interviews with the you know former band members where they'll say oh somebody brings a song in or the whole group writes it together. It's like well so where is where does like how involved was he in the songwriting of all of this material? He's the only original member. He's the only member that's, that's, he is the fall essentially. Yes. But yeah, absolutely. How does, how does the music get written? Like, how does, like, why, well, what is his involvement? Minus, I the mean, I, you know, like, yeah, you could parse that for details, but there's, you know, the, ultimately the fall's a rock band. Like, and I mean mm -hmm. that in the, in the, in a really like, um, positive way but that uh, it, it, where like the the energy and identity of who they are and what they're doing like requires vision and commitment and you know his vision and commitment was such that like people couldn't stand working with him he was abusive to people mm -hmm. um extremely difficult to work with but also like had some kind of ability to shepherd this entity right this band the fall like is is his vision and it didn't start that way right and some of the earliest members i guess left because they were like this was supposed to be collective and collaborative and you know yeah long right. history like with how much did he steal from his wife at the time right i you know i'm not here to sort of uh justify like bad interpersonal behavior but you know you said yourself before like you could listen to your experiences you can listen to this stuff from all different eras and it, it hangs together whether you mm -hmm. feel like it's indistinguishable or it's you know one you know later stuff is an evolution of earlier stuff like it hangs together as a vision and there's something kind of mystical and mysterious in that which is you know it sounds sort of banal to talk about it that way but you know you look at james brown or neil young or um a, as a band another fantastic example would be perubu a band mm -hmm. that has existed for decades through all kinds of membership and membership changes and the the um the universal constant is david thomas who doesn't well i guess he played some clarinet back at the start of it but like he's not a an instrument player guy and it's like what is it that makes it their bands? I don't know. But like, 
Mm. You know, if you have the chance to go see Perubu, you you go. And it's always amazing. Mm. Always amazing. And, you yeah. know, like, same thing with the fall. Like, I, I didn't purchase every single fall record through the last two decades. But I made sure to listen to them. And the ones that I really liked, I made sure to get. Like yeah. I said, you know, the unutterable is like in my top three or four fall records. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, what is it? I don't know. I don't think I have the uh, ability to to break that down because I do think there's an ineffable piece to to the stuff that touches me most deeply. Yeah. Uh, and I feel his presence and personality in every iteration of the band and you know why that is i can't say like like that may just be what charisma is you know i i, yeah. I don't know but but i get it off a piece of plastic yeah you know well, so have... so your your relationship like with your band is way different than marky e. smith's relationship with his group yes completely i mean yes no my god the fall is certainly not like a model <laughs> for sustained creativity to me like 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 for 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 me who i am right like, but even I'm still a... like like oneida i mean i so I, I have your your new record, this one. Awesome. It's a good one. People should it get is, that. It is a good that. record. It is an amazing <laughs> record. Uh, I I really like. I listened. I, I talked to I talked to John briefly at your show in Cambridge, and uh, and I was just like, I John, I I heard like I think fifteen seconds of like the music video for the first single, and I was just like, I got to get that record. And I like went out and I ordered it immediately. <laughs> so um, and and then it hadn't it hasn't disappointed i mean i put it on when i got it home and and it's just been it's just a great solid record i think um so seeing you guys live uh well looking through the record you know there's very little artwork on the inside like on mm -hmm. the sleeve it's kind of just like very brief touchstone information stuff but it doesn't seem like everything is kind of credited to the band it's nothing is credited to any individual so That's... it seems like you guys kind of like write kind of together well, sometimes, um, or sometimes a song will come in like pretty fully formed from one person, but part of who we are and how we want to uh, maintain an ongoing productive creative relationship is as a collaborative organization. So like, even if one person comes in with a song written and we all just kind of put it together it's still credit we credit everything to all of us who participate in the record mm -hmm. um and that allows us to feel pretty free i think in terms of different writing processes like um it's sort of like well whatever we do everybody matters right so like for instance if if somebody brings in a song it's like here's here's the song here's the lyrics here's Here's a melody. Here's a demo recording. Let's go. That song is going to undergo a process of transformation because it's getting played by us. Right. Um, but there might be songs where like, oh, somebody else plays the guitar or the bass or somebody, you know, uh, like just had a different kind of vision and 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 it still gets credited to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and our processes have, have varied so much through the years. You know, we've been a band for a long time. We've made records in a lot of different ways, super mm -hmm. collabor collaboratively, um, sometimes much more like generated by one. It's like one vector coming into the band is like, boom, here's this stuff and this idea. Let's go. You know, and it's like, cool, we'll follow that vision. But because we want to be sustainable, mm -hmm. um, 
it's we view it as a collaborative process that just sometimes has different like there's different like pressures and 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 motivating energy yeah okay but and also uh, a, a a mutual respect and yeah. uh, admiration for each other i'm sure because you know at that show it was packed it was crazy the little lily pads uh venue and uh, I happened to be close enough to the stage where just before you guys performed, I saw you guys do your group huddle, maybe prayer thing yeah. that you do. Yeah. And I was just like, this is a band that loves another, like one another. This is great. Yeah, that is true. Um, and that's and that has become an important part of who we are to us. You know, one of the nice things about like staying together for a long time is you you have to find ways to maintain that relationship even when things are frustrating right because in every relationship things get frustrating or things right. get difficult or you create patterns that ultimately like um you know magnify things that are otherwise like little right it's like mm -hmm. when you patterns of behavior and patterns of interaction like once you do that long enough you're like oh this is just we're just magnifying some little thing that's annoying like <laughs> that's bullshit like let's move past it and it's mm -hmm. like you you um you gain that confidence that your relationship and the enduring nature of it matters more than like whatever a bump is. Mm -hmm. um, so because we've done this, you know, the, the new guy in the band is Shaheen, who's only been in the band since like 2006. Right. So it's like 16 <laughs> years, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 you know there's just there's yeah there's a there's a confidence in how you're going to interact and be with people and that that can help people if it's like shit were my contributions like really like crucial here and it's like well we're in this relationship like yeah they are mm, right. um, okay um we'll get more into that maybe in a little uh, in a little while uh, I'd like to get through some of this record. Uh, yeah, yeah, go... yeah, right. Oh, yeah, there's a we have an agenda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I was going to skip around a little bit anyway, considering I didn't even know what track listing I was definitely going to go down. Cool. But uh, but let's go ahead and, and get into it a little bit. Um, Let's start off with the first song that it's on my track listing is uh, R.O.D. That's the first song on yours. It is. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. That's so what's your what's yours? Is that the, the fourth um, song on the second side on my record? See, is there is there a ghost in my house? Is that the first track? On yeah, yours? there's a ghost in my house. See, God damn it. I was I had I put these both track listings next to one another. And I was just like, wait, is this the one or is this the one? I was just like, <laughs> I think maybe this is going to be the one. But either way, we're gonna we're gonna tackle some of the same songs. Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm not, we could go at it from any from any angle you want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's kind of kind of uh, customary to the fall, right? It's it's, it's kind of madness. It's kind of exactly. It, yes, it's it's like it's imperfect and jumbled, even even like when it's not. If that right. makes sense, and it can still work. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Can might not. Let's might try. Not. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so ROD, um, sometimes referred to as Realm of Dusk. I don't know if you knew that that, that what's, uh, what ROD stood for. Uh, well, I know that. I mean, that's a line in the song, but I guess I never actually put that together. It. Yeah. But uh, but I don't know what Realm of Dusk really means. I mean, so I read this, uh, you know, this uh, interview with Mark saying uh, the quote from him say, it says that the lyrics are about approaching the mediocre. 
So with that being said, if you look at the lyrics and kind of like start reading them and then trying to interpret them, you're essentially saying, well, this is just word salad. Like none of this really matters because you're just trying to fill in these gaps with, with melody more so than trying to, to convey a story or, you know, make a point. Yeah, I mean, I I see, I experience, I experience his lyrics as uh, we're, we're not quite word salad, but more like um, more like expressionist, more like a, a, an expressionist experience. And they're right. It's music. So the words are sound yeah. to me. Okay. And and um you know language is interesting this is one of the things that i love most about the fall right language is a communication tool um and it it begins like historically it begins if you look back at like you know early linguistic development right it's it's sound before it's like anything written mm -hmm. or dignifying and and i experience lyrics as sound and then like the meaning kind of reaches out of those sounds. So certain songs that I know really well, and I could actually like sing along with the lyrics. I don't think about the lyrics. And then other, other ones, it's like there are lyrical moments that are really, really, really important to me. Yeah. Um, but it's, I have learned and I've learned in writing my own songs and lyrics and singing a lot that like, it's really funny and surprising sometimes how people interpret what you've written so i i've learned to really really let go from the creating end mm. you know i'm like okay i put this out here however it connects with you or works with you is like that is a it's a personal experience between you and the words that i put out there and i feel really empowered to have that like same same relationship with the fall which is why like before i said it you know like i i don't tend to visit the annotated fall yeah uh, yeah, you know <laughs> lyrics like when i think of rod i think of this kind of like there's some like really like horrifying like gross imagery in it and like like mm. there's some big gross thing right it starts with it's approaching <laughs> right and yeah. then and then there's some stuff about like um the north right and he's always talking about the north um right everywhere because he's from the north of england but is that always what he's talking about i don't fucking know right, right right but the idea of like hiding in the dark and in the shadows and like the sun never shines really sounds to me like <laughs> that just feels like northern england to me but like what is what is his purpose of this kind of horrifying hovering devouring image and the idea of people like living in darkness and not showing their faces to the sun i don't know but it's a good gloomy ass set of sounds that goes with the song right yeah it, like seeps into you and maybe it doesn't make you feel great i feel a little yeah. nauseous <laughs> yeah I, I can i can see that definitely but and that's like i'm saying that it's all into 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 uh interpretation and i like i like uh your interpretation of it I can, I can, I can dig with, I can dig that. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny. I'm not a, I'm not a, like a let's lay this out. And like, um, I'm not a precise, I'm not into precision. Sure. Well, there is no person, you know, yeah. there is no precision for this really, you know, and that's the beauty of, of, you know, lyrics, as you were saying, it's interpretation, right? It's interpretational for everybody. Everybody has yeah. their, their own uh, takeaway from it. 
and, uh, and that's a beautiful thing really for, for that art form. <clears throat> um, let's move on to, to my next song, uh, Dr. Faustus. <laughs> yeah. Now I imagine you might have something to say about this. I really don't because I am not very good with, uh, with literature. Well, and you know what's this... funny about that song is that song is actually not on the record. Your copy? That I, God damn um, I know it pretty. I mean, I have, I own like other copies. Sinister. Okay. Um, you know, but like that's something I got like way late in life. It was like, oh, I should, I should get this. You know, <laughs> I should get this record, like the the actual album. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So, oh my God. No, I don't. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. I mean, I you know, like again, there's more like violent, disturbing, disgusting imagery in there. Right. Um, well, because it it seems like the 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 you know the steady through line is the connection to uh, to Faust. Sure. Right. Probably. So, On the other hand, he was like writing like plays and operas and stuff at this time. Hmm. Some. Uh, you know my understanding is like hey luciani and maybe that song i don't know are part of some opera or ballet he was doing that you know he had wild ambitious visions right. yeah um, yeah that like you know and then i i know a couple of years later there's i am curious orange which is also like a ballet he did that's what that record is and i'm like i love that this is true but yeah i am I'm in love with the rock band. Right. And okay. I'm very psyched if high culture and literature and history are all colliding to make this happen. But for me, there's a sensational, a, like a sensa sensory experience that is way more important. Um, and again, that the, the so Dr. Faustus like is not, is not a song that to me is part of this sort of adolescent i'm 15 what the hell am i experiencing okay. part of this record um, all right yeah and it's just just weird i mean like it's it's got a, a lot of uh, literary connections to it which i'm just not familiar with and i kind of didn't even want to get into because it's like i i don't want to have to read a book just to kind of talk about this right song. right exactly <laughs> and, and and it's you know maybe it would be i feel like it would be perfectly reasonable if that were the kind of relationship i had with the fall and with the lyrics Mm -hmm. but it is not it's yeah. really an energy based relationship and a sure. a, a sound based relationship right and because you have history too because you've been listening to this for for decades yeah. and you have yeah. a a kind of connection to it more so than you know coming into it as like a, a a a novice being like okay well what's going on here let me try to understand and analyze this it's a totally different totally different totally and, and and it's like it's um I get lost in fall songs and in Marky e. Smith's lyrical worlds. And every song is its own world, right? It's not like he mm -hmm. has this massive, like through line vision that I experience. It's like every song is its own world. And I get caught up and lost in it and like dislocated and turned around. And, you know, I don't really want the signposts, mm -hmm. you know, I also yeah. like going hiking in the woods and, you know, like, not taking out my map until it's like shit it's gonna get dark and i'm in trouble <laughs> right it's like i like to be lost and boy yeah. it's, it's music the adventure the adventure of kind of like uh getting lost in something trying yeah, to find your way like, out a, a sense of powerlessness <clears throat> like mm -hmm. like i you know in the music that i want yeah being being lost is important and being like you're not in control sometimes mm. you're and taking like, a ride 
Yeah, you see, you go see a great show, you know, if that music takes you away, like suddenly you have abdicated your control of the situation. And that's true if you're jumping around in a mosh pit when you're younger, or it's true if you're, you know, just completely absorbed and zoned out into somebody's drone or, mm-hmm. you know, people, I know people have that experience at Grateful Dead shows. I tried that a couple times. I didn't have the same experience there. Right. Um, but like, I, I love it. I love that it works for people, right? That complete, completely transported can happen in a lot of ways and look really different. But the idea being that like you, you are not in control, you surrender to something and you allow, you allow yourself to be, you know, manipulated by that. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I love that. Cause I, I do, it's been a long time since I've had that experience, but I know what that is. And like, yeah it's it's definitely a special special thing harder to come by the older you get i guess so the more you like have built your foundations and your structures of like your world and reality it's a right much bigger commitment to dismantle those things (laughs) i know man that sucks sucks getting old all right look there's only a couple more uh like things i'd really like to touch on i was gonna like i had some questions for some other songs but i'm just like these aren't really that important um there's some that are, are i think are particularly interesting like um gross chapel british Gren- grenaders yeah grenadiers is that how you grenadiers. That? Yep. grenadiers um so i don't have too much to say about that song it seems kind of like stymed in in his history uh but um but there's something interesting that happens in the music and i'm not sure if you're familiar with this did you like did, did you want to hear a clip of this song and like where it kind of gets weird well, sure. I'm curious to know what you're, yeah, sure. What you're, what you're hearing or noticing on. Well, it was mentioned in the, uh, uh annotated fall. So it's essentially that <clears throat> that hook that you hear, right? Uh-huh. But uh so someone on the that that website said uh that there the parts where it seems to go out of time have been described as by as mistakes by some, but players this season wouldn't be accidentally dropping or adding beats. At the top of verse 2, the rhythm guitar hits the changes a half beat ahead for four bars, at the end of which Hanley throws in a note uh a note a whole beat ahead. And Wollstonecroft responds by doing his next set of accents a beat behind, and they then they lock back in. Yeah, I as mean, if I, like nothing happens. <laughs> but, okay, so all right, so first of all, I I play in Oneida. I play primarily keyboard instruments, and I play a lot of bass. Yeah. Um, and Stephen Hanley is one of my all-time favorite bass players. Um, okay. I I think the way he plays, like got into my brain and my blood a long time ago <laughs> and i'm like really familiar so you you just played that and that's exactly what i was listening to um they're just playing and they know how to play together um, so even though somebody falls off they just manage to kind of lock yeah back in they're eventually. just playing yeah that's that's just music right and, and it's it's like everything that i love it's elastic right uh, 
but I mean, it's, it's I don't, weird. I that... don't hear. A, I don't hear. I don't imagine that there's some sort of scripted sense of you change here. I believe fully that like when they play this, they're not really giving a crap about precision and they know how to play together. Right. But that, that leads to the question of this, like when you, when you're in a recording session, like when do you decide, Oh, that wasn't a good take. Do it again, guys. Like you guys fell off, you fucked up something, you know, you fell off time or so, or whatever. I mean, but, that depends on the band. And in this case, I think it's probably like if, right. How, how the man himself feels about it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But so I was going to, I was wondering uh, for you, so can you think of any oddities that presented themselves in Oneida songs that were either premeditated or happy accidents? Oh yeah, constantly. I mean, sure. Like, I mean, that that's like All every the time. Song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so at least for us, so talking about Oneida's process, right? Because I'm not qualified to talk about the process of the fall. For sure, sure. sure. Yeah, for but you. But like, our process is, to, you know, it, like I said before, it really varies from from what I said. Like we may have, be, we may have the the most vague set of self directions, right? Let's try this, and then we kind of go at it, and we're like, "Oops, you know, that was a terrible idea." Or, "Well, what if we tweak it this way?" Or we may have like a song that has changes, um, right? But I'll give you a I'll give you a concrete example. So we okay. just played. Uh, two shows in December. It's now early January, right? We played two shows in December, one of which you were at in Cambridge, Mass. Mm -hmm. um, the other one was out in, in Western Massachusetts in a town called Greenfield. Um, <clears throat> we wrote two songs uh, ahead of time. And I live in Boston and the rest of the band lives in New York. Um, so I put together these two song demos um, and sent them to those guys. I mean, sent a bunch of stuff and we kind of we kind of have a big pool of ideas that we're picking from. We're like, all right, let's work on these two songs um, and let's play them in Greenfield and Cambridge. We're not going to have a chance to get together and ever play them together as a band before we get on stage. But, um, you know, the rest of the guys met and kind of worked through some versions of the song. We sort of talked about it and we jumped up on stage and like um, I felt pretty comfortable that I knew kind of the way these other four people were going to approach this song and they felt pretty confident that I would be able to sing it and play it along with them. And um, we, there was actually two of these songs. One of them, like when we went to play together, it was like, oh yeah, this is exactly what we thought, right? This is boom. We hit every little change or maybe it was like somebody like stayed in the same place while everybody else went somewhere else. And it's like, cool, we caught up, but like, boom, perfect dovetailing as far as we're concerned right? right and that's that's how we like learn and build a song like what, what if those things it's like oh yeah it was kind of cool you like stayed at at that part and we changed and then you came around like do it that way um mm -hmm. the other song was one that kind of got um slightly like off in terms of who was going to be where and that was the first night in greenfield that was like that was kind of awesome and it turns out this song can work um almost with like overlapping modules mm -hmm. um like if i'm playing and it was just because like the way i'm playing the bass and singing it is like personalized enough that it's going to be elastic from time to time but you know the bandmates who have like 
kind of figured out a way they want to approach the song have kind of figured it out according to another set of strictures then you lay one over the other and if i'm like well fuck this instead of playing this here i'm gonna move i'm gonna change here and it's like well they're not expecting that but it sounds great and i'm sure when the time comes you know we'll keep playing these songs Mm -hmm. live and at some point we'll record them probably i would guess in the summer you know after we've had a chance to maybe get together actually in a more controlled environment and work through some of the oddities but it's going to reflect the way those two visions of the song kind of came together i mean one of the things that it's lucky that we figured out right before is we actually played it in different keys we actually heard like the key center differently would it have been interesting to play it that way? Yes, it would. <laughs> we didn't do that. But so that's a, a I mean, that's a constant because if you're if you're playing music, you know, like it's it can be awesome. It doesn't have to be like following a script. It's why I think notated music is taken way too seriously by people who play, you know strictly notated music is like a that's a problem because like notation is very useful Mm -hmm. as a roadmap but if you're not willing to diverge from what somebody else wrote down like it's not you're not going to get somewhere different with it you know now that we have recording technology and ai and midi like you know if the notes are what interests you we'll just like put the notes into a computer and there it is you know i mean that's one, one extreme of it for sure yeah, and it can happen though. It gets sure, being of done. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I that, that just that just isn't interesting to me, like at, at all. <laughs> I understand. I, I hear you, man. All right. Well, let's let's move on to the next few songs. Uh, I've got maybe three more for you. Uh, oh, sure. Living too late. I know it's probably not on your list. <laughs> that, that one is also not. I know. I I love that song, but that okay. is also not on the Domesday Triad record. Okay. Well. Um, so uh, listening to Living Too Late, I mean, in hindsight, it seems to be prophetical, like we were kind of talking about uh, with uh, with Mark's uh, ability to, to, you know, create lyrics. Um, but I think at the time of its conception, uh, you know, in these like kind of mid 80s, uh, the lyrics could be tr- could portrayed as a man that is coming to grips with the idea that he is no longer a young man and ha- has lived a bit too hard for too long. Um, are you a sober person now? Uh, I'm not a sober person. Okay, neither am um, I. But I'm, uh, you know, I'm. I mean, well, I am right now in the month of January. That's a, <laughs> a, 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 a an annual tradition in our house. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's like the head check. <laughs> uh huh. Well, because I mean, because like, Mark was notorious for for being a, a, an alcoholic, essentially, and you know, it it showed on his face, and that's kind of like what he mentions in the song. You know, it's like the the crow's feet and his on his eyes, yeah. right? But that's, um, I mean, but that's also, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know that I, I have ever associated that with like substance. Abuse. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, okay. I think it's more, I, I hear that song. Um, I hear that song more as from the, from the perspective or the voice of somebody who is like, living in a world that doesn't match their own kind of the way they want to relate to the world, right? The way that like entropy or technology or development has removed humanity. It's sort of like, um, I kind of see it as like a, a very uh, 
clear-eyed version of how a romantic might see themselves living in a post-romantic world um it's mm -hmm. very material and um like magic is gone yeah um, and it's like uh it's like a natural outcome of you live you live in a place of like something magical or um a world that you understand has passed mm -hmm. and you're still around is that like survivorship guilt like you're talking about kind yeah, of yeah i don't know that guilt is the right word and this is part of why i think it's that's a it's a cool well, song well, cool that's way that writing. term it's you more, know, no no i hear you i hear you but it's yeah. more like um it's more like confronting like time i think um hmm. right? we experience time as humans were limited so we experience it as a linear thing right, right. Like a, a capable scientist can quickly you know explain to you like time is actually not linear this is a this is a a, a fault of our set of perceptions right but like whatever mm -hmm. we experience it that way and you know you really have a choice if you come from a you know romantic like like big r romantic mindset right of believing that the individual has a powerful role in the universe and that like your perceptions and your understanding of the universe are ineffable and inexpressible fully to anyone else like well what happens when your connection with that world dries up and here you you're still there so you know right. in a true romantic conception that's the like live fast die young like go out in a blaze of glory but um okay so what if not right right is there value to living too late is kind of the way you know i i see that and i i can't like I can't call up every, you know, <laughs> lyric, lyric yeah, yeah. from these things, but it's like, sure. um, you know, it's like age and, and like, not as a, like, I, my body is growing old, but like the things that have connected me to the world are no longer visible to me. And I understand it's like a more material yeah thing that surrounds me um well well like you were talking about like getting the lost in music at a, at a live show yeah. it's like it's harder the older you get because there you, you go. lost go. the connection to the magic sure go see a show and be like fuck i'm old i can't <laughs> surrender the way that i did before right okay. right so then what do you do do you do you like doom yourself to you know do you disappear immediately or right. do you what what do you do you have to carry yeah, on you have to live and you have to live until you die right i mean yeah. you you just deal with what you're you're given and and be thankful for being alive because i mean i think most people will will enjoy that they have this life that they're living however they're living it well the and older if you, you get, don't enjoy it or you enjoy it significantly less is there still meaning in being connected to the world I think right. I think that's a you know that's where I would land. I I, I really like that song. <laughs> yeah. Losing connection. I think maybe that's what we're where we're at. Like you yeah. like as the older you get, if you're kind of disconnected with what reality is or kind of the way you see things, your perception of things, you living too late is kind of like I'm losing connection with reality. Like I can't. Well, in earlier worlds are more magical. Yeah. Right. That's just a thing. Right. Like, I, you know, you look at the past and it's like, oh, 
there was more magic in the world. Now we understand. Now there's more material, and that'll be true in 25 years, right? It's like people will will look back and be like, "We knew less. We understood less. We had less." whether it's technological power or whatever at our fingertips, you know, go, go back a hundred years, go back 200 years. Like um, I recently visited uh, recently within the past few years um, before they took it down. Uh, the MFA in Boston had an exhibit on um, the modern moment. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that somebody had written about it that was in this ex- exhibition, like really landed super hard for me um, because it was, getting it got me to think about the moment of electrification and electric light which really came into widespread very quick right widespread use um in the first decade of the 20th century mm-hmm. and that, that that is this moment right this mo- the modern moment is like up there through like the first world war and what comes after it was like this insane acceleration of like oh now everything's lit up all right. the streets yeah Right. And in some ways, that's really exciting. It's first of all, it's practically useful. Right. And in other ways, it's super exciting, which you still see in people, you know, talking about like, oh, Broadway, the great white way. Right. The idea that like things are glittering. Mm-hmm. Um, but holy crap. Right. Like there's also like the loss of magic and unknown and mystery. And like if you look at life and the world on a practical standpoint, you know, you're talking about the disappearance of superstition and and other things that have made human life objectively shittier right Right. and the advent of science and scientific progress which objectively have improved you know human existence in so many ways um but i think it's um it's also compelling to think about and allow yourself to acknowledge like the losses that came with those gains Mm. right like the more you dispel the shadows the less you like feel what might be in those shadows, right? right. Boom, light everything up. Oh, it's fine. Right. There's no more creativity. There's no more, there's no more magic. I mean, and and I think everything. there always is, but there is like a... Right. But it's the interpretation. You can't see it as clearly, or at least like yeah. it's diminished because of what you have visible to you in your like kind of immediate foresight. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, I, I, I hear some of that since we're talking about it (laughs) that's kind of what i hear um in living too late and maybe maybe some other stuff too in the fall right like you know i i do love for a band that that was so great at like doing things idiosyncratically and like forward looking and like fuck the past you know boy did they do great cover songs um Mm -hmm. Some of which are, are are on are on this record. And that was that's one of the other things that this record really exposed me to was the idea that like you can have your you can be truly original and still have your hands in like rock history or music history, mm-hmm. but yeah. still be amazingly original. Yeah. All right. Uh, two more for you. I'd like to cover Bournemouth Runner. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's quite interesting. You're you're picking almost all the songs that were removed from Ben Sinister. I, I also I also love that one. That's one where like so literally the the um the chorus line, you know, uh, uh, pops into my head like kind of randomly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, so the, the short story is essentially uh, the song derives from a, a wild stunt where the band was performing and a longtime fan from Bournemouth had jumped on stage and run off with the band's banner. 
<laughs> so that's that's the gist of what the song is kind of about. Um, so what is the one of the most wild things you can think of that happened at an Oneida show? <laughs> um, I mean, of. Uh, created by others or created by us whatever you think <laughs> i mean i you know okay whatever so, is not incriminating and whatever so here's is, a yeah. story here's a story about ecstasy not the substance the the human experience um mm -hmm. for a number of years um as we toured through the south we would always uh play in winston-salem north carolina at an old um warehouse that had been turned into a sort of a venue and a community space there's a big kitchen they call mm -hmm. it the warehouse with w-h-e-r-e -E. so there's people who've been around in the 90s and early 2000s in that area they may be like yeah duh the warehouse um okay. and a lot of that was a place where we felt really really at home mm -hmm. um, we made sure to always play there we had good friends who ran the ran the joint um, people were still close to and connected with uh, and it was always a place where we felt like we could not be like a, a, a safe space to kind of go all in sure. uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, I remember one show um, that we played in which, well, one one part of it is toward the end of it. I remember just in the middle of, some improvisational exploration sort of attempting something without thinking about it like physically as i was playing like what if i were doing this and then suddenly i was doing it and it was way beyond my physical capacities mm -hmm. and i was like oh i'm doing this and i remember experiencing that as like ascending like i still that's a that's a really like key moment for me that's not why i'm sharing this though because later that night as we kind of kept on going at the show and it ended and people were kind of like banging and pounding and and it like became this sort of strange like somewhat maybe well eventually very destructive kind of primal like throbbing thudding of people pounding around and it, it just kind of spread throughout the space and then to elsewhere in the warehouse and then it was like we were smashing all the chairs in the building like like not just not just oneida although i'm sure we had some ringleader role in but the people who lived there it was like it right. was the huge communal act of destruction with no anger or negativity associated with it at all it was just this like we need to continue this like rolling throb of this show and like it just never stopped and then it was like pounding like people like in rhythm like smashing chairs and we you know if in a better world we would have been like oh my god we're so complicit in like destroying your communal space like we need to buy you more furniture but instead it was like off to atlanta or whatever you know <laughs> Um, and these are people that we know and love and have a connection with and, you know, continue to return. It wasn't like, yeah. and we yeah. never spoke to each other again. <laughs> but, I, you know, I don't think I've ever really, well, I've certainly not told that story. And I certainly haven't examined that moment, you know, in retrospect very much. It just kind of lives and lurks 
Yeah. Because it's sort of an inexplicable experience. And because that was a place where those kinds of versions of who we were like came out and were allowed to come out, which meant that, you know, shows we had, there were always or often, you know, really like um, special experiences for us. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just say, and I hope for the audience, you know, as well. Mm -hmm. I would imagine so. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like one of those things. It's just a cathartic experience that comes through in the music that, that just kind of overtook everybody. Yeah. And like how, you know, I, I'm sure to an external observer, it was, I mean, obviously irresponsible, but that's rock, rock and roll is irresponsible. Thank God. But, um, mm. I'm sure it would have looked destructive in a negative way, but that I certainly not how I experienced it or remembered it at the time, you know, believed it to be at the time looking back. And I don't think other people experienced it that way. I think it was just, yeah, like catharsis or I don't know, some sort of like communal, like a, like an inexplicable moment, like a right. really inexplicable thing. Why? Hmm. I have no idea because we all surrendered to something that was like beyond what we like, you know, was, was <laughs> easily describable. <laughs> yeah. Like it would be so socially like acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And right. we were doing all that together. We were just outside that together. I know it's, it's funny cause it's not a very like rock and roll moment, you know, it's kind of, it's is. More of a like, yeah. I, I mean, it is in the, in the, in the giving up like, or not, you know, moving beyond the bounds of propriety, I'm sure. But like, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more of a culty communal <laughs> moment, maybe. I don't know. That's okay. It's That's what okay. it is. People can people can interpret and analyze that all they want. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Well, here's the last thing for you. So let's let's end this at uh, U.S. eighties through nineties. Yes. All right. US so eighties nineties. That's another phrase that like I just hear in my phrase along with like he was a Bournemouth runner. <laughs> There's. A <laughs> like the the hook the lyrical hook of that song um fits perfectly right. in my brain and my <laughs> you know my consciousness yeah i mean it's a great song it's uh kind of borders on on hip-hop you know it kind of starts off with that that like drum uh like that drum machine beat you know um so now there's a there's a line in the song that goes the the cops are the tops. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> which uh, which I take as satire, uh, kind of uh, around the whole uh, this um, New York cops pro pro police slogan from the sixties. Yeah, well, I I think he names Boston like right at the so let's own this. I believe he names Boston right at the start of the song. <laughs> right. Yeah, he does. And then you know, I guess that has something to do with like a little bit of their history, like kind of um, you know um, touring in the United States and kind of flying into Boston and getting harassed by the the TSA, I guess, like for having cigarettes and and booze or something on them or something like that. Yeah, that's in there, right? It's like uh, yeah, it's, it's about uh. Yeah, no beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, but again, it's like here's his ability to not necessarily see the future, but to make music about the kinds of themes and threads that are going to pop up again in the future, right? Like this makes mm. sense for him being like, like, fuck the cops and fuck the rules and fuck the uptightness and the boundaries and strictures. Mm -hmm. And you know like he's not wrong that the u.s compared to his life in europe is like much more obsessed with control of the population you know it's like we have the we have our nice mythology of freedom in our past but like it's really a 
society of control compared to to you know what it what we think we are right where we used to be maybe yeah yeah may, like like maybe right yeah. like i don't you know then it all depends like, on your perception like, oh right. yeah and it depends on who you're talking about too sure, right sure like, oh yeah shit was real free for some people right <laughs> Um, but we're a society of control. And I think I think he calls it out really well there. And he's looking at the future, right? He's singing this in the mid 80s, the late 80s. And he's like, here's the US in the 80s and 90s. Right, right. Right. He's like, he's like, here's where you are. And he, I think he's I, I hear the song as like, he's in the US at the moment, right? It's, it's like, mm-hmm. this, is, <laughs> this yeah. is the deal. Welcome <laughs> to the US <laughs> right. 80s, 90s. This is the deal. But the but the fact that like that phrase lands for me, right, and sticks in my head is is a, a prime example of something we were talking about a while ago that it's like sound and like phrases are where I find the meaning in his music the most. Sure. And sometimes it's these like the the this is the era where it's like it's often that like chorus phrase or that title phrase mm-hmm. other songs it'll be like a phrase from just somewhere way in the song floats up and lives you know in my brain as the song right uh, right but here it's like very hooky yeah for and sure like you said great rhythm great like breaks in mm-hmm. it fantastic bass playing as always <laughs> yeah yeah but now, so uh, th- about the phrase, the cops are tops, obviously it's kind of a satirical take. Um, so speaking of satire, uh, what's the deal with success? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously there's some humor in that title. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like, uh, well, so... A little bit of a, I don't know if this is a stock phrase, but a way that I have of kind of encapsulating something about Oneida in general, and I think this fits it very well, is like, it's funny, but it's not a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, there's there has to be some humor and some self-deprecating humor and some dark humor in being a band for 25 years and be like, success! Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but there's also an earnestness at the same time to that, that like, this is a success, right? Like we right. can look at who we are and what we've done and it's not been a predictable path, but like, I feel like being a band as long as we are and making music that I think is really great. Like I feel really, really happy about Oneida and Oneida's music through the years um I think it, there's a little bit of a um there's like sincerity in calling a record success but it also forces you to have to think about it on a level of humor but also on a like okay well what what can this mean what are the possibilities here and so like I would like to have my cake and eat it too in that yeah, you know right. like like if you think it's not funny well then i get to be like well it's funny and if you think it's funny then i say well it's not a joke it's real (laughs) (laughs) well i think that it's funny in a way because um you know like i said it's a great record like it immediately grabbed me and i think that the idea of calling an album success as a title uh there's there's meaning behind using that word and i think that whether you meant it or not you put out an amazing record that should be a success 
you know, right. I mean, like in, in every aspect of, of the, <laughs> totally of the world of music industry standards, it should be a success. Right. We're, we're just manifesting here. Exactly. It begins yeah. with the word and it becomes the reality. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, and also there's obviously like some tongue in cheek aspect to the fact that we've made a bunch of pretty, uh, I think for some people challenging records. Yeah in the in the years preceding this and this is a very accessible record Mm -hmm. by our standards i know our perspective is sort of skewed but we're like we're making pop songs here (laughs) like you know right um so we should acknowledge and celebrate that like you know that maybe a little tongue-in-cheek but also like well this is what that looks like and sounds like for us but we recognize that that isn't the same that it necessarily looks like and sounds like for the public most people <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean like it, it's wild i mean you know for for people either just coming into oneida's world um i think this is a great starting point and they can go back obviously and kind of like you know uh explore the more experimental and, and uh, challenging albums um and the other idea is that it's 25 years you've put out how many records 20 a lot i have no idea but like there's a huge discography and so yeah there's a lot there's an impenetrable discography yeah yeah. like oh yeah these four only came out on cassette (laughs) (laughs) you can find them digitally somewhere i'm sure you can like scour youtube or something we made them available digitally during the pandemic (laughs) we had cassettes from 2015 14 and 15 and 16 that we were like you know we're not really doing a whole lot right now. Let's make these available to people. <laughs> right, right. And that's great. See, so I mean, like, I think that, that there there should be something uh, said about that. I mean, like, you know, I understand a little bit of irony in it and all, but uh, but I do I do wish you the, the most uh, success possible for, for this record. I hope that it's doing well. I know it's been out for quite a while now. Yeah, I don't I don't really know how one measures that. Uh... How does a record what does it look like to, for a record to do well and well in 2022 2023 like i, I don't know right. uh, but we feel like um really proud of the record and we're um playing songs from it and they continue to sort of work and to land right for us and to feel like they kind of communicate who we are successfully and they've led us to new stuff like i was saying before we're also it's like constantly there's there's new stuff coming that is sort of informed and influenced by that. So yeah, you know okay. who knows what the next record will be, but hopefully we get it together a little quicker. Yeah, <laughs> well, um, maybe. Um, so what is the plan anyway? I mean, I, I think I saw something about a tour in the future, or is that? Um, so we're we're playing in Europe. We're touring in Europe in March. March. Okay. Um, we have a show coming up in. April in New York, which is just part of a little one-off. We may book a few other little shows and weekends around that. And then uh, U.S. tour, um, the plan is August. And we have some dates and we're working out. um, We had to cancel part of our summer tour this past year, thanks to COVID. Oh, okay. Um, So we're going to hit those cities again and add some and hopefully kind of make our way through the Midwest and the South uh in august but those plans are still a little bit in flux so i don't have anything to announce but that's the idea and i would hope that by that point kind of by the end of the summer maybe the fall we'll be we'll be working pretty hard on recording the next album because we have 
enough material at this point um, for the next album. Although that's always a question of like, well, what are what are we going to record? You know, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Right. You're you're always playing it by ear. It seems. But we'll so. do some recording. We've got a couple of a couple of things ready to roll. Cool. Well, that sounds great. Um, Bobby, thank you very much for for taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks for wonderful for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then we'll maybe we'll come back again sometime and uh, talk about uh, the modern lovers. Yeah, yeah, I'm here for that. Yeah, we can. Then, and I got I got the stories. Great. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. All right. Take care of yourself. All right, you too, Bobby. Thank you. Bye. Final Vision is a second static production. Theme song written and performed by Jeff Robinson, 123 Astronaut.